Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adnan Shafi, and today we're going to welcome you to a Pan-African podcast. Today, I have very special guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, Thomas from uh, Johannesburg. And uh, Marwan from Morocco. Yes, and today we're basically just going to be talking about all the different uh, ways in which this coronavirus is going to be affecting the African continent. Um, so very briefly, we're just going to describe um, the situations that are uh, uh, sort of regions of Africa. And we're going to start with um, East Africa. That's where I'm from. And uh, as we can see, there's a lot of talk. I mean, today our airspace in Kenya, international airspace, has officially closed. And um, we've seen some scenes of panic buying, some people trying to, you know, increase the prices of certain products like hand sanitizer and uh, soap. Uh, but obviously the government has started to crack down on that. And on top of that, there's a lot of talk or rumors about Kenya going into a full lockdown where we're going to have a curfew where you're not allowed to be out of the house by 6 p.m. All the clubs and, um, you know, any public gatherings, including those of mosques and churches, have been shut down. And as of now, as I last checked, there have been a tally of 25 cases of coronavirus in Kenya. As of Tanzania, there is the president have, has refused several times to close mosques and churches based on the claim that, you know, the coronavirus cannot enter the houses of God. Um, we'll discuss that a bit later, but um, as of East Africa, I think that's basically what's what's going on right now. Rwanda, just a few cases. Uganda is also taking their precautions very seriously. So what about you, Mr. Thomas? What do you think about, um, you know, the situation in your region? Well, like uh, in, in Southern Africa, the center of the epidemic is really, uh, is really Johannesburg, let's be honest. Um, it came, the virus came from, from Durban, like an arbor, and uh, like, like in most of the country uh, of the continent, it came with, uh, mainly with foreigners that were traveling in and out from uh, risky countries. Uh, the first case was a, a foreigners that uh, went to Italy, South African, so that went, to, uh, that went for holidays in Italy. Um, so, so yeah, we, we, we about like 554 cases last time I checked. We don't have the numbers of today already. Uh, but the number are, are exponential. Uh, also, some like cases in uh, in Eswatini uh, and in uh, in Zimbabwe, but mainly mainly around like South Africa. Now, the one of the main concern is that, as we know, South Africa and especially Johannesburg, uh, that seems to become the new Wuhan of of Southern Africa, is is a place where people come in and out. Um, so we uh, need to make sure that the virus doesn't uh, move into the population too fast. And uh, for that, the president have announced a full lockdown of the country for 21 days. They announced that on, a, on Monday, it's going to be implemented by midnight on Thursday. Let's see, let's see what will happen. Let's see what will happen. But uh, I'm, uh, I, I would like us guys to discuss this idea of, of, of full confinement. Is, is, there, is it really possible around, around here? I, in Johannesburg, I, I don't see this full confinement working, but uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about it. What about uh, your situation, Marwan, in, in North Africa? Well, my situation is in North Africa is uh, a bit like uh, South Africa, but it's not as high like in the confirmed, confirmed cases of uh, coronavirus in there. In Morocco, I think last time I checked was uh, 148, and the highest one was in Egypt, like with 300 uh, maybe. And uh, surprisingly, Libya, like they have only found one confirmed case. So I think there is a lot of difference between uh, North African countries, between themselves. 
the source of like uh, the first uh, person infected like in Morocco came from Italy and a lot of people like infected here came from Europe and uh, what North African states are doing now is just trying to learn from what their uh, no neighboring countries uh, in Europe especially Italy and Spain like from the other side of the Mediterranean are doing uh in morocco i can say that they were very prepared like after two cases two confirmed cases schools were shut down and uh, as the number increased uh flights were banned and a lockdown was put for 25 days uh, 25. 25 days yeah wow wow mm, when did yeah, that that's, that's that's quite expensive when did it start it started uh, in this week i think on monday and like it will it will finish on the 20 uh i think 20 april yeah 20 april i will not finish by like guys we let's don't speak of the end of this crisis because I, I really don't know if much information. <laughs> I, I mean it can it can it can be finished <laughs> before or uh, it can be extended but uh i mean we don't know well we're uh, so uncertain about it can i yeah, can i, I find it very interesting is there any coercive measure that have been put in place both in East Africa and Northern Africa? Because so far in South Africa, it's not coercive. The police and the and, and the cops and the army and, and whoever is going to be deployed to implement that national lockdown um, can't can't uh, force you to be inside your home. Or at least that's what seems to to happen. When uh, we know that for the, for China, you were forced to be home. You need you needed a card to get outside of your home, and and you had one card by a family of four or five. So it was it was fully like the apartheid the state apartheid was way more coercive like both in Asia and, and it seems like in Europe as well in France uh, where I'm monitoring the situations they also uh, slowly but surely like put more coercion and, and give more power to the to the police or the army to make sure that those um, national lockdowns are, are fully implemented is it is it the same case for you guys um, for us it's not really the same what I'd say is that. I think that there is talk if you're if you've come from the UK or abroad in the last two weeks and you're you're found outside they've delegated a special number in Kenya for you to call and legally I think the police can actually take you and then take you to a quarantine facility. So if you're found to to be seen to be breaking um, self quarantine, the government can actually take you in and put you into one of the hospitals. That's what it's actually come to here in Kenya. And also, as far as I know, during the lockdown, I think that curfew, I'm not really sure because the government hasn't released an official statement about it, uh, but they're talking about possibly instigating a curfew that is backed by the police and the army as well. Okay, so they will have, they they were thinking already on like some coercive measure. Yeah. Conce- yes. concerning, concerning North Africa, uh, I think because of the popularity or the position that the military is playing, like in uh, securing the countries like Morocco, Algeria, and Egypt, uh, mm-hmm. like they came down to the streets and told people to stay at home, like using a megaphone, saying, uh, "Oh, please, citizens, stay at home, stay safe, and all that." Uh, I think same in Morocco with the, the document, like if you want to go out. Uh, you need a document and one person like in a family is allowed to go out much more i mean like documents do you, do you yeah. is, is it already i mean like one person in the family is allowed to have that document mm. okay but as the document like towards an administration or do you upload it yourself online because how are you supposed to be confined 
and get like, the documents. Like they came, the the police came and uh, distributed the, those documents for in, in each neighborhood. Like it was uh, okay. Like everything was in order. The the army the army have like distributed like documents of who like mm-hmm. of yeah. who can go out or go in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's actually mm. one document and, per family. And so like if they found. Right. And if they find if they find anyone out without the document, they may face from I think from one month to three months of uh, jail. Like they will go actually to jail for for going out oh, without wow. the document. Yeah. Wow. I mean they are uh, very serious. Ah, uh, uh, okay. That that sounds that sounds quite interesting. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, have you have you heard also what's happened uh, in, regarding those jails? Like a lot of African countries right now have liberated mm-hmm. like they. Prisoners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh others. yeah. Because I mean, it's yeah, clearly it like might a... spread through the, wind, the 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 prisons, which is Edgy. quite um, yeah, it's it's unprecedented to say the least. It would be definitely unprecedented, and imagine like the type of nightmare that we're gonna have if uh, now the coronavirus is only inside prison. because <laughs> like, he, he yeah. might be able to go in those space than in in normal life, you know, where where people can can quite up isolate themselves. Yeah, no, I find it really, I find it really interesting how uh, some governments have gone to really extreme lengths. I think if there's one government I would like to point out that was ready at least, or at least tried to be ready, it was Rwanda. So the moment they heard yeah. about coronavirus, they, they, yeah, I mean, I had to have said it. I mean, like they, they, they were literally having uh, portable sinks, so government could literally place them. And people could be washing their hands and everything. I'm not sure how many cases there are in Rwanda right now. I might have to mm-hmm. check. Uh, but definitely when it comes to being prepared, I know Rwanda is definitely one of the most prepared countries in Africa for the coronavirus, I have to say. As I was in conversation with a friend in Rwanda right now. And uh, she was telling me she's confined since a week and two days. A week and two mm. days. Wow. This wow. is all like 10 days before England. Uh, it's it's like it's it's quite impressive. It's definitely quite impressive. You would imagine that Rwanda reacts quite quite strongly since uh, but, you want to like an entire hub or international hub. But but in the mm. same in the same region of uh, East Africa, like uh, I have I have seen that Ethiopia still maintains uh, flights with China, which I do not understand. Maybe Adnan, you can oh, yeah. talk, talk about um, Ethiopia. So actually, um, I'll talk about two. I can talk about Ethiopia very briefly. But yeah, the fact that there's still flights going back and forth between China is very troubling. I'm not sure as to why. I was talking to someone from Ethiopia the other day. The government is considering uh, putting um, some certain restrictions into place in regards to movement. But when it comes down to Kenya, I know that my government made a huge mistake at one point, which was that um, we let a flight come in and it was full of 239 passengers, right? Um, or mm-hmm. it, it was a Southern China Airlines flight and it was coming from Guangzhou. And we allowed the flight to land, right? And we let the passengers go, you know, trusting them to go into self-quarantine, which for me was such a huge blooper. It was how can you let something like that happen? When they tracked down some of the passengers, some of them had coronavirus. So for oh. me, it's a huge, it was a huge, like, you know, now imagine all these cases are doubling. Oh, it's too much. Was that plane Sorry? outside of Wuhan? Was it was that plane outside of Wuhan? Was it a normal commercial plane, or was it like a 
special repatriation plane? Um, it was a plane. It was a commercial plane from, uh, I believe it's Guangzhou. Yeah. Okay. 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 Because in Ethiopia, they continue because the, the, the crisis is there. Apparently, like a lot of states or companies start to know about it since like end of December, middle of December, mm. apparently. So Ethiopian airline, which is the main, literally like the main transport actor between Asia and Africa right now, is definitely, definitely knows about it. And they have decided to continue to, to bring flights from China yes. throughout the yes. crisis until, until today. There's flight, Ethiopian Airlines flight that goes in and out of China all the time through Addis Abeba. However, Addis Abeba mm-hmm. and, and especially Ethiopia have little amount of case, really small yeah. amount of case. I mean, that's what I don't understand, yeah. What, what do you guys think of it? You think they're lying about the numbers? Uh, it's about... <laughs> I really, honestly, I can't, you can't be sure. But I think for me, yeah, I think they must be lying about the numbers or... There's some people that can usually carry the virus for about two weeks, then they start showing symptoms. So I think within maybe the next two weeks, I mean, God knows best, right? Uh, but what's going to happen is that you might actually see more cases coming in because it, they can't be that lucky. Every single country that has had have, flights coming from China, you know? I've been taking, they have been taking plane from China since the beginning of the crisis. Now there's, there's less people infected mm-hmm. in China than there's in Europe right now. So they can continue. I think they can continue their business with China. Um, China is probably one of the first places we've tried in Central Africa <laughs> regarding that virus. Uh, they have turnover the epidemic. The, the rest and, of the world hasn't. So they apparently have five cases, right? Uh, and they've banned public events. And my source is the Daily Nation that was posted a week ago, right? Um, but so it doesn't look like, you know, things are going um but i think yeah definitely it's, it's a bit odd that they have only five cases and they're allowing flights from china to still go on i i heard that they they close i heard they close uh the airport in a particular way and the truth mm. is addis abeba is a, is a hub it's a bit like dubai mm. and Doha, nairobi now it's, yeah i mean it's the main uh, uh, um, airport airport hub of the continent the biggest airport above the continent. So people are moving in and out, but they mainly go to other countries. Mm. If that is we say three millions, I don't know, passenger like in a year, probably 2.7 are going outside of Ethiopia. They're not stop- they're just stopping in Ethiopia. So I think they, they have worked out that. But I don't know how much they probably history will tell us, but uh, I, I would imagine that they're quite co-responsible of uh, of a lot of cases, therefore. I think for me, it just, it just shows that, um, I think like when it comes down to African governments as a whole, there needs to be a lot of, uh, communication between governments because it's not just like the, it's not just like the case that affects one country. Like I was even reading that three of the cases in Rwanda and they're around six now, right. Um, or five were from Kenya. Out of you know, it doesn't really. I mean, it shows you that the borders, right? Uh, there has to be communication within the countries that are surrounding, and say that this is coming your way as well. So you need to be prepared. So I'd love to see more government cohesion at this stage in in time. I don't know what uh, what's what's happening in terms of uh, go- government cohesion in North Africa. Is is everyone just closing his borders, or are, are people speaking of like border points? How does it? How does it work there? Mm. I mean, all the countries, all the four, five countries have closed their borders. 
I mean, okay. there was, uh, you already know about the, the conflicts happening between Morocco and Algeria. So the borders were closed before, before this coronavirus. And uh, <laughs> it still continues <laughs> to be closed. <laughs> between, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and between Algeria and Tunisia, I think it's the same. It's uh, closed borders. So I say uh, uh, it's, they have closed their borders with They're all like the airports. And airports too, like, and airports too, like, uh, Morocco has banned all flights, all passenger flights, international uh, travels here. Yeah. And I think the same is happening with Tunisia and Algeria and Egypt too. But I don't know much about Libya since they have okay. not like they have not confirmed any case until like 10 hours from now. They have said that there has been one case, which I'm not In quite Libya, sure if, you... it's, if it's true or not. Yeah. You don't really have a government that controls the country, yeah, so I really imagine yeah. it's a bit establish those numbers and to to find like a trust sources mm. that can go both in Benghazi uh, or or in the source of Libya and then report cases. I imagine there is no centralized uh, database information there. Mm. Guys, like we, we we're hearing a lot. I mean, one of the big debate here. I, I I don't know. Is it also what you guys read in West Africa and 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 in East Africa and North Africa? But one of the big debate here is is really about like. How will that confinement work? And are we just trying to repeat like measures that have been taken in China and Europe? You know, is that the usual like copy and paste that we can observe in some mm. African politics? Or are there really those measures like the, the good measure to take for the populations? Uh, according to you, I mean, we're not doctors and we're not going to pretend we, we can give like medical advice, but we definitely can uh, establish kind of a, of a, of a, of a map of the, of the different uh, practice that are making in the in our 45 54 states and, and establish which one seems to be functional um i think that um at, at this rate i think most countries are just copy and pasting what um other countries have done but i think here's the main issue right so uh yeah sure we have to take precautions we have to close borders we have to limit public gatherings but we a lot of african countries and i can speak even from a kenyan perspective we've been given a loan of i think it's eight billion shillings right um i think i'm not i'll have to calculate that in dollars a bit later right um but when it comes down to um how we're going to implement these reforms and everything and allow um for containment of this virus we don't have the same sort of resources as a lot of European countries or even China, where they built a hospital in five days. For us, we have 140 beds in our ICU and our cases are 25. So now obviously if cases get more extreme, which they are growing by the number every day. If we are to fill that ICU, um, you know, a ward in Nairobi, then we're finished. You know? Okay, okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But like, there's one or two things I need to say about, about that. The first thing first is that this five days hospital, guys, it's a propaganda tool. Let me be mm. really clear right now. China have messed up the beginning of the crisis. We would have, all, most of the country would have done it. And nothing against China. I imagine when such a thing happens, obviously no one is, is there ready to, to sort it out and to understand the full scale of it. However, China have failed at the beginning, at the very first day. Like, mm. even like, like the, the, the doctors that were saying, guys, there's a virus here that is new. We need to take it seriously. The same doctors that discovered that virus is, is dead by now. Is dead by now. So China also built that hospital. They do have like a, a longer tradition of building those type of hospital. And they get ready since like the SARS virus at the beginning of the 2000s. So let's give credit for China to have like those type of solution in, in box. Um, mm -hmm. But that is the answer of the initial mess. 
mm. is the like we, so we should not like other states are just strong and powerful and 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 they can handle those such mm-hmm. a thing. Uh, there was so much case in China. If there was so much death at the beginning, way more than, for example, what we can observe in in Germany right now or uh, or Korea or even Taiwan, is because the Chinese government mm. is not performant. It's, it's not like a super machine, and and we would be like the broken governance. No, it's that's a bit more complicated than that. I mean, yeah, concerning. Concerning the measures yeah, that uh, yeah, uh, a lot of con- uh, North African countries have taken, I mean, all countries are copying and passing. With, with like, and I don't think that there is uh, a problem with that. What matters, what I think matters, is the time. I mean, if uh, the time and uh, to which extent are they are they taking those measures? I mean, are they taking it to an extreme extent? For example, in Morocco, like after two, like, uh, if I if my memory serves, serves me well, I think one or two cases. Schools were shut down. Everything like they ha- they were moving so fast. I mean, it's, uh, there is no problem mm-hmm. with copying and passing the same measures that have been taken in Europe or China. But what matters is the time. Are we doing it, uh, you know, quickly and uh, okay. early before this uh, the spread of, uh, of the virus here? What I, what I found uh, quite impressive in South Africa, to to be quite honest with you, is. Uh, is the fact that there were no coordination between most of the North African states, mm, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, especially Morocco and France, uh, towards like closing the borders. So what, what I found interesting is that Morocco closed these borders. Morocco um, didn't allow uh, planes to, 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 to come from, uh, from uh, contaminated countries without asking them if they should or if they should not, if they can or if they cannot. Mm. So, Still come a bit uh, later. I mean, they could have closed with China and earlier, but it seems like, from the French perspective, like it seems like the French didn't know that Morocco is about to close its border with France. It created like a whole range of of, uh, of cows for French tourism, but it also shows that African states are independent and they have to take their decision themselves or put to protect exactly. their population. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The same happened with you as citizens here. Yeah. So they, how many like because uh, in Morocco, how many tourists are still stuck? I mean, not 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 much because a lot of people have like there has been the, those exceptional flights for people in these situations. So I think okay. a lot of airports are like are now closed, but uh, I cannot speak of uh, you know specific Kenya, details. Kenya also have a, a massive like national airline, right? Kenyan Kenyan Airways also a big mm. a big tourist. Yeah. What is the situation there? Like, are they are they still uh, allowing mm. people to? For for how long did they allow people come from France and Italy to continue to come and 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 do the the wonderful safari that Kenya has? Um. So okay, in relation to letting people in, so as of today, we've shut down all uh, international airspace. So we're not allowing any flights to leave, and we're not allowing any flights to come in, right? Unless with uh, you know specific state permissions, right? But what that has actually forced is like for a lot of companies including the travel industry to be hit very hard and also we have reports from kenya airways that the ceo is going to be taking almost a 90 percent pay cut and general managers within the company will be taking a 70 percent pay cut for the next few months to come so it's a very very huge change and it's actually quite scary as to what ramifications this will have for the economy, knowing that, you know, safaris, Mombasa, all of these places are the ones that are actually bringing money into Kenya, so. Definitely, and Kenya is definitely like the, not mistaken, the gatekeepers of uh, of the new Chinese uh, route de la soie. How do we say route de la soie mm. en anglais? Uh, 
I'm not so sure. Oh, that's what... Silk Road, Silk Road, yeah. Silk Road, yeah, 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 the yeah. Silk Road. Uh, Chinese yeah. Silk Road, it's supposed to pass by Mombasa, right? Um, yeah, so it's it's super easy actually to get to Mombasa because now we're having international flights from Doha. We have international flights from China as well going to straight to Mombasa, but there's a port, which is quite a useful port. Uh, but also through Nairobi, we have a train that connects um, <clears throat> Nairobi and Mombasa, built by the Chinese. So definitely the Chinese are still very dependent on us as a country. So um, in terms of China's African links, I think this is going to really suffer them quite a lot, you know, because they're not going to be able to use that um, transportational link as well. Definitely. Hello everyone, I'm glad that you're enjoying the show and that you've gotten this far. We'd just like to interrupt this transmission uh, for a short commercial break. So I've recently come across a really cool website called TheEconomicMisfit.com. Just say that again, TheEconomicMisfit.com. It's a really nice place where you can be able to find articles, mainly Afrocentric articles about entrepreneurship, politics and government that are currently affecting us today. So if you guys would like to access that, go to TheEconomicMisfit.com. Tell me what you think about it. And I hope you're all eager to learn about our continent. Let's get back to the show, guys. Okay. And what I was, about South I was, Africa? Uh, What's I mean, going on with the flight? Yeah. Like in South Africa, the, the national company is in a state of uh, chaos quite a while. I mean, it's 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 making like newspaper headlines since at least like a year and a half now. They already have to cut uh, a lot of their a lot of their um, uh, transport lines. So, for example, the one with Uganda have been cut. So there's a lot of like. Uh, we, there's a lot of change right now in South African Airways, so I don't think that will impact much. Um, it was the company was already it was not at all any close to what uh, Moroccan Airways companies or Kenyan Airways company are, are proposing uh, right mm. now. But definitely for tourism, it will impact the country. Uh, and Gramaposa have announced like a lot of measures uh, to to protect business, to help businesses. Um, but a lot of people are asking themselves, are those measures really going to be efficient for informal traders, uh, for people living really close to the poverty line, for people earning like daily wages, or are those measures only be focused on, on big businesses, you know, like national companies, electricity companies? Um, yeah, what, who, who, who would be protected by the state within, within, that, uh, within those 21 days that most probably are going to be longer than 21 days? Mm. Um, well, from my side, I'm really not sure as to how my government's going to uh, react um, to to this whole lockdown that they're proposing because um, not only are industries going to start lacking, but also hotels might have to start, you know, main, paying maintenance without getting any sort of revenue, which will be dangerous because, you know, that's literally like a tap running dry over time. So um, our government hasn't really said anything in relation um, to uh, how they're going to support people because we're also in uh, quite a load of debt, right? Um, but I think even in just generally speaking, I don't think that my country, especially even just other neighboring countries might be economically suited at the moment to deal with the debt that will come with it. So even us, we've been bailed out by the WHO. They've given us an 8 billion shilling loan um, for us to be able to deal with, with this coronavirus, which is good. But again, it doesn't really mean that the response is going to be as great as we think it is. And I mean, let's be honest, guys. Yeah, like we're in front of a totally new crisis. The solution that we already have are 
not going to be exactly implemented. Like we we're in front of something mm -hmm. quite. Yes. Yeah. What's the, what's the issue? Like, for example, if, if I make a, a small comparison, like let's compare with what's happened in, in East of Congo in uh, 1995, 1996 to, to the 2000, like the East of Congo wars. No one have been able to stop the genocide. No, no, no foreign troops, no money, nothing has mm. happened. Ever at the moment where there were refugees within camp, the money was flowing in. Because the refugee camp was a system that were functional. A lot of people knew how to deal with like the question of how to build refugee camp. And at the time, we're speaking of the largest refugee camp in the world. Sorry, Adnan, it's not. Uh, it wasn't Kenya at the time that was leading the. the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but but yes, a lot of money came in, and now you suddenly realize that you international money flows more for refugee of Rwanda crisis that were a lot where a lot of them were criminals. 200,000 of them were mm -hmm. genocidal. They received more funds than those that were fighting the genocide in 1993 because of, because of, of that question of actually, what do we do when, when the situation is new? Sending money to without a plan is, is not going to function. So, yeah, so in that yeah. case, I hear you asking about that, that loans, and it's probably like a good news for, for Kenya, but I still would like us to discuss like what are the exact solutions? Is social distancing relevant? Can we do social distancing if you live like if you live in a I don't know in 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 a township of, of South Africa or in a in a highly dense densely populated neighborhood of Rabat? Is that such a thing as mm. as 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 stay home with enough resources for twenty one days to don't even go out? Is it is it such a thing mm. like this? Mm. What I what I, I mean, think? Yeah, mm. sorry. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Go go Adnan, go Adnan. Okay, yeah. So um, I think in relation to Kenya, I, I completely see we also have the, the biggest slum in Africa. It goes by the name of Kibera. And I think that if coronavirus were to break in there, then I think that would probably be the end of Nairobi as we know it. Because there's, a, I think, a population of 2 million people, right? That's almost 40% um, of the people in Nairobi who are living there because it's quite a large slum. I'm not, I'm not sure the exact numbers. I'll actually have to get them uh, and correct myself later, perhaps. But it's a large amount of uh, the population is living there. So what happens is when it comes down to social distancing within that setting, I don't really think it's possible. But I think given the fact that this is a, a voice that came from outside and is coming in and now we've closed the borders it gives us one it's isolated the issue now so leaving the country isn't it's not gonna it's gonna be within the country which is easier to deal with again social distancing will help in some degree because there's no point in saying let's not have social distancing and you find that it's spreading through other areas not just the slums uh, but i do think that there should definitely be some sort of um, mass testing done in high, highly densely, densely populated areas because that's where the disease might actually be able to, to morph into something else perhaps and become even more deadly where there's less people who have that access to healthcare. So, I mean, that's from our side. Uh, I don't really know what we can be able to, to do apart from just try our best social distancing. The curfew might work, I think. Mm. I mean, in Morocco, I think uh, social social distancing is what will stop the spread of the of the coronavirus. But it's not a sustainable solution, and uh, I think that for now, uh, there is there is no, like there is no such thing as a sustainable solution because we cannot stop the spread of the virus until we understand it, uh, until we find the vaccine, all that uh, solutions like medical solutions. But 
what I can say is that I think we have to be we have like to face this war. Uh, we will face an economic crisis and the social crisis after after this whole uh, this whole virus uh, crisis. Yeah, I mean uh, there there will be an economic impact and there will be a social impact too. Like for example, uh, in Morocco there is a lot of street vendors and uh, those people are the ones who are uh, most affected by by, by by this virus. Yeah. How do you social distance when you're supposed to sell something to someone in the street? Exactly, exactly. And we have to consider, and we have to consider the fact that people may, I mean, they they may may grow tired of or angry of just social distance, distancing, and just staying at home and everything, like without getting their, their you know, their only source of revenue right. comes from you know social you know selling and. Uh, yeah, let's be honest. Mm. I this continent, we have 54 states. Right mm. now, outside of those 54 states, which state is 100% trusted by its population? Not so much. Not so much. Yeah, uh, in, yeah. in the rest of the world, the same. But maybe there's not so much, there's not exactly the same memories as well, not the same histories. In the African continent, a lot of states have, have taken from the coercitive apparatus of the colonial state to continue to implement those type of things to their population. So I do not see, for example, the state of Cameroon going on West Cameroon right now and tell like the rebels and the people he was fighting against. Uh, you know what, guys, let's make a break now. Uh, everyone get home. And in 21 days, uh, we all get out and we continue whatever we were doing. Possible. Yeah. A lot of it will accelerate. It will accelerate conflict that are already there. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think also just generally speaking on the state of how this curfew and all this social distancing might affect people. I think the fact that, um, obviously, first of all, there's a, people who are living under the poverty line might not even have access to food. So now you might even see more panic. And I'm curious to see, um, I hope not, but I hope that there won't be any violence that breaks out. Because um, as, uh, what's his name, Thomas Hobbes, yes, as Thomas Hobbes talks about his state of nature, right? If people see that there's, you know, there's a chance or like, you know, there's uh, limited resources, it becomes a war of all against all, you know, especially even you can even whether it's your your bubble below the poverty line, if the resources are constantly going down, which I hope they don't do, if this becomes a, let's say a two, three month problem, um, then you might start seeing maybe even violence breaking out if, if it's not controlled properly. So I definitely I would say South Africa has taken a, a smart step in deploying the military and the police. So, I mean, we'll just have to see. Like if you deploy the the police in uh, Kibera, Adnan, mm -hmm. I know exactly you know what is the actual reaction, isn't it? Haven't or, we seen what happened when the police is deploying Kibera already? People get out oh, and no, I'm not even, I'm, and... Not, I'm not even talking about just Kibera. I'm talking about in general, right? So when it comes down to like, history there's a particular history of of state presence in kibera there's a particular history of political violence in kibera that cannot yes. that that cannot that cannot like not play not, not not play a role i mean if i think of i don't know but in the image that we have in for south african townships the last time we saw like the police being in the township with with those big vehicles and trying to tell people to shut down was at the time of apartheid and people still remember mm. how to kick out like a cops in those places, yeah. they, they, yeah, yeah. they know how to front like state authority at the moment, at the minute people will start to believe that the state is actually playing them and is not helping them to protect themselves. 
I, I'm expecting I'm expecting some some riots there. Yeah, no, no, of course. Uh, what I'd say is like I'm not just talking about Kiberia in general, but I'm talking about um, like for example, high 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 densely popu- populated areas, even places like town, like the central business district in Nairobi. They must, I'd say, there has to be some sort of police presence just in case something were to happen in town, because I know for a fact that if if like in a worst case scenario, in a worst case scenario, if resources start becoming scarce and i know that there's going to be a lockdown lockdown mm-hmm. at some point right you might start seeing people panicking just like they've done in other countries like the uk and i think it wouldn't even be an option anymore because um you know i just don't i just want to imagine people going to to a mall where there's you know low resources and everyone is just acting civil you know so it's not just kibera and of course i do suspect that that might arouse some 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 suspicion if uh, police are deployed there as it gives people echoes of the uh, post election violence of 2007 and um i mean we'll just have to see how things unfold but that would perhaps be my recommendation if just not kibera but like in general in like places where there's a lot of high traffic yeah i think it's the- the question of like the historicity, like in those space, are they were they political violence before? Were they like were the state seen as someone that protects? Were the state seen as someone that aggress? You know, those those are the, yeah. the questions. Like we're not going to have the same yeah. things. If there's something that that for me characterizes, or at least like one of the paradigm I use the most uh, to understand this continent is this this idea of inequality, right? There is inequality. But there is inequality in a whole range of things. There's inequality in infrastructure. If you go to OR Tembo or Durban Airport or Mombasa Arbors, those are like fine, like first world class, like infrastructure, right? However, if you go to certain neighborhood of Nairobi, certain neighborhood of Johannesburg, you're not going to find like first class infrastructure. So in the same country, you do not have like just underdevelopment. You have inequality of, of that development, right? So now my question is about like, how will that inequality of development replay with the virus? What what type of what type of crisis will come out of of this of this inequality? Because for South Africans, for example, if I look at South Africa right now, like the poorest people are the ones that are the most exposed to the risk of the virus. The poorest people mm-hmm. of all society, Africa, are the ones that are exposed the most. Why? First, because they can't have like medical help, so it's it's highly possible that in case of big crisis, they won't receive the same service than uh, South African citizens that have enough uh, resources to get uh, um, medical aid. But secondly, and, and 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 maybe more importantly, because the employees, the employers, do not consider like their situations. Like if I'm thinking of like cities mm. um, or place like this, the people that came in taxis. I've been able, are, are still coming in those universities as we speak to clean them, to, 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 to make food, to make the security. Those are the people that move in taxis, in taxis where the virus can take two to three days, right? When the people that are mainly managers, the people that can do like what we call home working, other internet connections, need internet connections, need laptops. Yeah. Often the people in South Africa that also are, end up being, having a car. So why is it that the people mm-hmm. with a car are home when can have the right to stay home to protect themselves and also buy groceries and, 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 and get ready for whatever what whatever uncertainty is coming. When in when in the second hand, like the, the, the people that have the less revenue, uh, mainly like uh, black South Africans and black women uh, South Africans especially, will have to continue to to perform their tasks every day and go to work within taxes. Um, mm. which literally is place to be in at the point of an epidemic. Mm. What I can say, like uh, concerning uh, Morocco and uh, North African countries, 
uh, I mean, I'm amid this uh, economic crisis, as uh, Adnan has said, there will be inequality and there will be scarcity. And I think people will be enraged because of those inequalities and uh, scarcity. But I see a chance for governments to regain the trust that they have lost in their people. I mean, for more, uh, like in Morocco, government, the government have, has intervened with the prices with a lot of, uh, you know, goods such, uh, such as, you know, uh, food and uh, a lot of uh, basic stuff so that uh, everyone from all economic classes can have access to it. I so think the, food that, the basic basic food has subsidized right now in Morocco. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. So I think government intervention might be in, in economies might be a chance for those governments to regain the trust uh, in their people. Like it's actually like saving them or something from this inequality. I, I like that. I like that. That's that's mm. really interesting. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I hope. I, I mean, it's definitely a chance. I don't know what you what you're thinking, Adnan. There's a lot of of chance for government. Mm. The main chance be for me as as someone that has studied politics, uh, like especially with my PhD. The main chance right now is 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 to gain information about the populations, like to develop like system of information mm. to know about the virus that end up giving us database and open like line of visibility about the population. If the state knows more about its population throughout this crisis, it will definitely be able to govern it uh, better and, and, and more accurately. Yeah, no, I think when it comes to um, collecting information, I think it might be easier in, in areas where the population is less dense. Um, but again, it becomes a challenge again for places where there's like, it's a highly dense population or if there's like a slum, for example. And I think one of the issues, right, as, or like one of the main issues that we're going to face in terms of containing the virus is that if one person catches it in um, in one of those areas, right, or where it's highly dense, regardless of, and I'd say even if you, if you don't really have access to a lot of resources or if you're underneath the poverty line and you're in a slum, right, I think it'll be much more difficult for that person to get access to a test kit and it might even also be a bit frightful for them because now they have to bear costs of quarantine or anything like that. It might it just seems like a bit of a disincentive. So obviously, as you said, Mr. Thomas, the situation is almost the same as that of South Africa. So you end up finding that you might have a lot of people that are unemployed because they they have been laid off because businesses, again, are trying to save money. So we're going to see uh, as the world moves into a bit of a recession, I'll call it a recession because, like, uh, that's quite literally what it is. Um, find that a lot of people under the poverty line are actually just going to suffer a bit more, uh, and even the big businesses might take a hit. But generally, the people who are beneath the poverty line are going to suffer much, much more. So, I'd, even after the coronavirus is like uh, gone, God willing, um, I'd, I'd be curious to see what um, what actually happens throughout and what happens to the economy and how it'll affect people. And this is very true. Like I, 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 I like this idea of like being a bit of, a bit more optimistic here. And this, can we can we really see like an increase of solidarity? Are we? Is it possible? Is there, is there even an avenue for our states, for African states, to take that direction of, you know what? We're going to demonstrate to the poor and the poorest of our society, the weakest of the society, that they are not just here to vote for us when we ask for them, because that's mm. also they're not here. They're not yes. just here for the yes, for the party. I, I really like this idea. I really like this idea. I, I definitely see it as a, yeah, we're living in a, in a time where there's that, that opportunities where 
well, it would be way, way more complicated to demonstrate uh, that the state take care of the poorest and the weakest uh, in normal time. I, I like this idea. Maybe like um, also like uh, to continue with like a, a more positive idea. I've been looking throughout like the, the history of the continent and there's something that come as a as something a bit more optimistic about what is what is about to happen. I would say is uh, is the fact that if there is one place in the world when doctors have been trained to to deal with pandemia, it's in the African continent. Where else yeah. have we seen such powerful like HIV? Where else have we seen like such powerful tuberculosis? And where else have we seen like Malaria. the last even 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 the last epidemic crisis of uh, Ebola? It was here. Yeah. Ready Guinea, Ready Guinea is 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 using that knowledge and 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 giving like and deploying throughout its territory like type of hospitals that allows. Um, like quick and fast and efficient deployment in rural areas. So if I look at if I look at South Africa, if I look at if I look at Guinea, if I look at other I think African countries, there is that sense of the doctors are already trained for a massive pandemia. When if I compare with the people uh, uh, in Europe, I don't know about Asia, but my friends in Europe at least, um, they never have encountered such such a massive pandemic when i feel like for a lot of like professional on the african continent they have encounters similar yeah i can i can agree i can agree that we we definitely have experience uh but um speaking on that more right uh, i think the countries that probably have the most experience would be obviously those are the that were afflicted the hardest by or the most and i just correct myself the most by the ebola virus and yeah we have had experiences with malaria and obviously there's other viruses like hiv uh, but when it comes down to what we can do perhaps for the next time because it's not a question of if but it's a question of when when it comes to pandemics because there always will be pandemics i think the question now becomes and Bill Gates talked about this in one of his TED Talks in 2015. He said that we need to have, um, like the army has reserves. We have to have reserves of doctors and nurses and people who are ready to act and to be called upon when you hear of such a virus. And I think that as a, as a state, you know, these are things you have to think about because obviously in the next 30, 40 years, um, I think is it Africa is going to be the most populous um of the continents, right? And also, in just in general, like we're going to have the, the largest amount of youth. Obviously, that means that we're going to have to be dealing with a lot of health issues, more health issues than other countries, for example. And I think that um, it would be good to at least um, having a plan, you know, just before another pandemic strikes, just speaking uh, speculatively into the future. Definitely, definitely. Is there any uh, other uh, positive like thought that you guys had that I, I really like this idea, Marwan, of like actually that can uh, also uh, prove the state can prove to its people that is is relevant, that is there for something. I think also we do have to recognize that we have professionals to uh, that knows uh, how to handle like pandemic situation in South Africa. There's an entire Minister of Health that I work for years and years and years to try to stop tuberculosis and and HIV. It has found solutions that reach to the deepest side of the country. Um, in right now in South Africa, in the smallest village, without electricity, without uh, TV, without uh, water, whatever the case might be, you will find a center to uh, treat someone uh, with, for HIV or at least to receive like the pills uh, for uh, HIV treatment. So we do have we do have that knowledge and those infrastructure. But are we going to listen to to each other? 
Are we going to? Uh, can we can we think a bit of maybe of Pan Africanism here? Is it is it? Are we going to learn? Can Kenya learn from Morocco and South Africa learn from Kenya, or are we just going to look at China and France? Uh, I don't think. Like I'm so sorry not to be optimistic, but um, given the response that we've already seen, there's no standardized response even regionally, which for me is an issue. So if you can't even hope to cooperate. Um, regionally as we've seen rwanda has their own plan ethiopia has their own plan kenya has their own plan um tanzania has their own plan uganda has their own plan so if we can't even cooperate on a regional level uh, i think right now for this situation it definitely is too late um to be able to spark such a response however in the future should we be willing to as an african union come together and make uh, conducive regional plans and to have regional health exercises, as Bill Gates had uh, had said, um, then we might be able just to, uh, to, uh, to uh, maybe catch the next pandemic and act mm-hmm. in a pan-African way and in a way that's benefiting all citizens and be able to con- uh, contain the, that virus, you know, easily. Mm. Uh, concerning, I just want to say something about the what what Mr. Thomas has mentioned uh, concerning the solidarity. I think that there will be a solidarity between people, you know, as humans caring for humanity and safety and uh, you know global global original peace. But concerning cooperation between African countries, uh, honestly, I haven't seen much. But what I have seen is that uh, the, this uh, big Chinese businessman, what's his name, Jack Ma, the co-founder of uh, Alibaba like he's sending mm. he's sending planes or a uh, full of medical materials to tackle this uh, this issue I think yeah. uh, one more thing concerning the cooperation between you know this uh, you know organization like the African Union or the European Union I just want to uh, give an example of the EU in the or European Union uh, I have read that Serbia has been uh, you know, demand, or asking for help other uh, European countries. And uh, as a member of the EU, like uh, they deserve help. But uh, we have seen that France, Germany, and uh, a lot of European countries have, uh, you know, completely closed their borders and they haven't offered any help. Uh, like uh, Serbia got the help from China. And we have seen like the, the role that China has, uh, has been playing in tackling this virus, not only like in Asia, but in the world. They have been uh, sending, you know, aid and uh, you know a lot of uh, much you know medical materials to 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 tackle this issue so that, i think that, that's definitely that's a that's a really interesting like um retournement de situation uh let's just use the french term to just look a bit fancy mm-hmm. here i would say that in english uh, mm-hmm. anyway it's, it's a bit of a change yeah like it's, it's really interesting because like two months ago we were all blaming china and uh, everyone was about to disco was discovering that uh the, the type of animal they eat and the way they sell them into different like mm-hmm. humid markets is responsible for the crisis and and there were that moment where people were like uh oh, china what are you doing to us when right now it's, you, you're right it's the exact reverse it's a turn back and a lot of people are saying like this is a massive massive turn back into like international relations now is china helping the world and not the world trying to help china anymore exactly i would I would add something to that, Marwan. Like, can I ask, like, there's a second country right now that is, I think, should be really fully acknowledged for what it's doing and fully acknowledged of, of what it's doing, especially because it's doing it for so long, right? It's doing it for so long and it's building on a politics that is starting in the 60s and the 70s. I'm thinking of Cuba, Cuba and the mm-hmm. doctors. 
Cuba is sending doctors to Italia. Cuba have been sending doctors to Haiti. Mm. Cuba doctors to, to Jamaica. Um, Cuba have done that for a long time. You have interview of Fidel Castro in the 2000s that explain why is it that he need to send more doctors than militaries overseas and sending militaries overseas make no sense for Cuba uh, because you need to take mm. care of population people and we know that the same Cubans have liberated South Africa, have liberated Namibia, or at least part is fully, fully, fully participated to the liberation of of, uh, of Southern Africa in general. Um, Cuba is also is can also like lead us to uh, another 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 angle, another approach, you know. Um, well, I think like when what you were saying, Adnan, earlier about this idea of like mm. a contingent of doctors that are ready, I think this is Cuba. <laughs> this is Cuba. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> the virus yet, and and they already like sending like people all around the world. Who, who does that? African yeah. states didn't even want to create their students in Wuhan. <clears throat> Cuba is sent the best <laughs> of these people, the doctors. Like the for, for Cuba, doctors is a, is a big is, is a big cluster, a big category of population that's that sending them overseas to fund the virus, fight and defeat the virus when exactly. we are all like closing our doors on each other. Uh, as you were saying, like uh, Adnan, Kenya is closing the borders with Tanzania, or Rwanda is closing the border with Uganda, what, whatever the case might be. We're all closing our doors. And right now, there's one country, uh, maybe a second one, yes, with China. There's two countries right now that are opening their doors. One of them have closed the door before it was China, and one of them have kept the door open from the beginning. And, and this is Cuba. And I think that's, that's a really beautiful, uh, really beautiful thing. I know in the Caribs, uh, the West Indies right now, a lot of young people are saying that they are protected from the from the virus or from a massive epidemia also because they know cubans doctors are there and and are coming and and have the reputations to be uh taking care of people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think um i'll say it once and i'll say it again we need an army of doctors or at least even health staff and we also need to do regular drills maybe once every two three years uh, there should be a, a regular country drill um, saying that, okay, you know, we're going to simulate a pandemic. And Bill Gates talked about it as well. I think that that's a very smart strategy and needs to be employed. And as, as of doctors, I think as Africans, there are probably a surplus of doctors in certain countries that, and there's a deficiency of doctors in certain countries. So I think uh, we, as a Pan-African, you know, um, institute, I think we can even just sort of um, uh, think of the future and just get some people who are with basic medical care and train them to have an army of doctors that is ready oh. for any new sort of virus and, you know, to doctors that can be easily trained and uh, tested every single year so that they can be able to react. And then also, uh, just speaking on um, how other countries have reacted, <laughs> uh, when, when it comes down to responsibility and everything, just to show how much this mayhem has actually wreaked havoc in, in my country, uh, we've, I think the German embassy or something, you know, the German government, yes, they had ordered, I think it was around 600,000 masks. And they were on, on route from somewhere else to Nairobi to then they're supposed to go to Berlin. So they allegedly got lost, all the 600,000 masks <laughs> in, <laughs> in the Nairobi airport. So we, I mean, some, there's some speculation that they were stolen, but we really don't know what's happening at this rate. So definitely in terms of cohesion and like, you know, um, the way governments are reacting, I'd say, I don't think we've yet reached that stage where we can say we're responsibly hand, handling this pandemic. 
Okay, I mean, I mean, I hear you, I hear you, but it's important, especially in a Pan-African podcast, to remind the world and whoever is listening to us outside of this continent that most of African states have taken actions way earlier. Yeah. Uh, you, mm, yes. yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and when I say earlier, I'm not speaking in terms of timelines on Monday, Tuesday or, or Thursday. I'm speaking of number When you hear like that in Kenya right now, you guys have 25 Ks and you're already closing your borders. Like as a we already closed, yeah, we already closed our schools actually a couple of weeks ago, which I think was quite good. Um, it's, a, it's a good answer. But when it, it, yeah, yeah. imagine in South Africa, just in South Africa, literally like this. I think there's a problem with the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but we can continue anyways. Um, so yeah, just speaking on that. Yeah, obviously there's it's a two-sided coin. I'd like to. Uh, definitely congratulate my government for, I think the first case we had, schools were going to close within that week. But yeah. at the same time, I'd just like to say that, yeah, definitely, it would, as a Pan-Africanist, we also have to ba- balance a bit of rationalism with optimism. So I, th- I think that Africa definitely has a bright future in the sense that if we prepare sufficiently uh, and have monetary reserves, have reserves of doctors, and have reserves of researchers that are prepared to tackle a pandemic, then all well and good. But in the current state of things, I think governments are doing the best that they can. Um, but definitely the other governments, I'd like to say Kenya is doing what they can. And uh, congratulations to our government. You know, I hope they're able to contain the virus as soon as possible. Same thing for Rwanda. Rwanda is a huge exception, I'd say. Uh, they're doing amazingly in terms of containing the virus. Uh, but when it comes to Tanzania, there are still, like, mosques haven't closed. Um, churches haven't closed, and this is all on the basis of the idea that the president says, and I quote, the coronavirus cannot kill something that the, the body of Jesus have touched, something like that. Um, yeah. You'll have to yeah. check it out for yourself, but um, definitely, I think it's still a threat to people, uh, regardless of religious views. Yeah. I mean, like uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you said uh, concerning, uh, uh, you know, saying you know, congratulations to our uh, governments and uh, being proud of what they have done so far and uh, i can say that uh, especially in morocco they have taken you know good measures and uh, most importantly one of the consequences of this uh, coronavirus crisis is that people are becoming more patriotic they are saying yes. you know you know they're saying that they're proud of what their governments are doing and even mm. like no matter what the consequence like uh, economic crisis or social crisis after this coronavirus uh, problem uh, i think people will have a different perspective of uh, what their governments are doing yes. and uh, i just want to add up to what you said about the mosques so i think that uh, i think mosques mosques in morocco have been closed uh, i think two weeks ago and people mm-hmm. were not like were not happy with that decision and uh, actually mm-hmm. like uh, last saturday they went out in a manifestation uh, in the streets and you know that with the social social distancing and everything, they have yeah. broken the rules. And I, I don't understand why, which is I found like it's um, a very you know uh, strange incident. Uh, they went out in the street. They saying that uh, you know coronavirus will not touch us because we're uh, you know uh, we have faith in God and there's nothing that can beat God's will and everything. Which I can say like it's the problem of uh, mixing religion and politics or uh, for example for us the ruling party is a party that has been uh, using religion uh, or politicizing mm. religion so i think that's yeah. that's how it had this impact on people 
Um, just relating on to that, I'd say um, the Muslim community, there's been a bit of division, but generally what scholars have said, um, <clears throat> especially from my, uh, I'm talking from Kenya and the UK, which is where I was studying and where I live, right? So I live in Kenya and I was studying in the UK. We've decided to close mosques um, based on uh, just a simple religious belief that, you know, if if you we have a duty to protect others and if uh, performing prayers at the mosque, especially Friday prayers, will cause mm. that, um, then what I think uh, would be irresponsible to do is as a Muslim, even you have a duty to protect others. So if you're if you're going out there and mingling with people, then you might actually be a risk to their health. Exactly. I mean, like some exactly some some mosques have tried to innovate different ways of um, having, let's say, 20, 20 um, people do one prayer, which is like still against the social distancing rules. Um, but I'd say, like for me, it's just better to be safe than sorry. And um, ah, yes, as we, exactly, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and even, now, even in the back, I don't know. Even in the religion, yeah, yeah. Like the 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 prophet peace be upon him. Yes, he said that we should not put ourselves in danger. So yes, I mean, like uh, uh, in his sayings, yeah. I would add yeah. even like on the on this on this scale of like positive uh, positive notes that if there's something that is particularly uh, good in West Africa right now, and and I'm, I believe North Africa as well, um, is the fact that there's a lot of Muslims that wash their hands five times a day. And there's nothing exactly. new here, and they will continue exactly. to wash their hand five times a day after, and they were continue, they were doing it before, and and I, I believe that is going to be like um, another of those like social answers um, that the society will be able to find if if the state is not performing enough or if the state don't have the capacity to perform its task to protect its, mm. its, its populations. Mm. Uh, I know that in Senegal, for example, like yeah, we didn't have they didn't have to explain us for so long why was it. Important? To wash their hands because yeah already we're, we're yeah, doing people it, are uh, used and, to it yeah, people are used and there there are infrastructure for it you know there's infrastructure for it um you yeah. know how to do it where to do it inside restaurants inside inside families and house so so yeah i think it's a it's, it's quite a good one okay guys um i think i'm gonna have to to go yes yeah uh, thank you so I much got, for yeah Thank you for your uh, thank you for for the invite and um, and uh, stay safe. I would mm. maybe like maybe actually just as a conclusion, like stay safe, protect the weakest, um, yeah. and 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 believe stay believe the doctors fake news. Yeah, please <laughs> believe the doctors. <laughs> stay safe uh, and, yeah. and and look after the weakest. Look after the weakest. Mm. I think it's a really important. A point to say that we are not exactly all the same at risk, and 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 we should accept that um, there's some people that need more attention right now than others. Thank yeah, you so much. Um, thank you, thank you, Mr. Thomas. Thank you. Yeah, Bye. I think I'll, I'll also just see you, Mr. Thomas. I'd just like to add something before we close off. Perhaps yeah, sure. um, what I'd say is, um, in my own conclusion, yeah, as usual, yeah, just first of all, as usual, stay safe, keep hygiene, and keep social distancing. Follow what your government is saying and also as a community help the people who are more vulnerable. Um, if someone will be more vulnerable to that virus, just make sure that you're able to help them. Whether it's like if you have to go out and get groceries and they're not able to, just be kind, don't be selfish and just be mindful of others. That's my, my two cents. Yeah. Mm. Which is like, uh, as, uh, as like uh, Adnan has said, not to be selfish and uh, 
help each other in this time and uh, be sure that after this whole coronavirus crisis, uh, like things will be different. So we have to be ready to face the economic crisis that we're going to face, the social crisis, and we have to like, uh, like we said, we have to be proud of what our governments are, are doing and just to continue in line with their efforts and uh, staying safe here. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Solidarity and unity. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay, thank you so much for everyone who's tuned thank in you. to today's episode. And um, yeah. we will see you in the next time. We hope there'll be any new updates coming through. But thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.